Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our weekly encounter lesson. This week, we are on April 11th. Happy Easter. No, it's not. Is it Easter? Past no. Easter. We're One past week past Easter. Easter. It, is, however, my... it is, however, technically a day after my birthday. So happy Christmas. Oh, well, <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> we are on lesson number six. Um, we're still in Luke chapter 24 called Truly Human and Truly Divine. Before we jump into our lesson, just want to say welcome to co-hosts again today. We have Chris Fleming with us. Hi, Chris. Happy birthday. 41-year-old Chris today. Yay! That's awesome. You're catching up to me <clears throat> for a little bit anyway. Anyway, and Logan, you want to introduce yourself this morning? <laughs> Yes, I am the younger of the three of us, the youngest of the three of us. <laughs> um, my name is Logan Dixon. I'm the pastor of Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church um, in Russellville, Arkansas. Uh, you can go follow our Facebook page and keep up with us. Uh, I host the Monday Morning Megaphone, which is a weekly podcast, drops every Monday, and you don't want to miss uh, this, la this last episode. Um, well, which by the time you hear this, it'll already be out. I've got my I've got my friend Drew Brent on the podcast, and we talk about the faithfulness of God in his life, and and he talks about a powerful testimony of how God healed his wife from a spinal tumor, and so that's wow. a it's going to be a fascinating story, a good episode. Uh, so go listen to that. Um, I also co-host the Culty Crimes and Criminal Minds podcast with my friend Nate Wilcut, and we talk about cults and crimes and all that sorts of stuff and so go check that out both the links to those podcasts are in the description um and I, I can't think of anything else that I need to plug okay awesome well of course you have welcome back to my porch that is my bi-weekly devotional that comes out on Mondays and Fridays on my YouTube channel but also this week we want to share with you if you go to cpcmc.org forward slash young hyphen adults, they are doing a new podcast and it's the Cumberland Presbyterian Young Adult Ministry Council. They're sharing with you their first ever episode of a brand new podcast called Sun Sunday School After Hours, where we talk about the things your Bible study never covered. Check out the episode there on that page and be on the lookout for future episodes. Just as a note, when you go to click on that, it is a MP3 download that will be downloaded to your computer. But check that out. Uh, new podcast for our young adults, some really exciting stuff that they have going on over there. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our lesson today. And we'll begin with our prayer for illumination. Gracious God, too often our hearts burn within us because our bodies know before our minds that you are here working in us and through us in the world. Open our eyes and help us to recognize you in all places and in all people for the sake of the one whose presence is never far, Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Our scripture selection today comes from Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 35 and our memory verse is verse 26, which says, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Chris, you're our author this week. I'm back. Jump into our introduction. I'm What's back, going baby. on? 
All right. So in this um, passage, it's a familiar passage. A lot of times the highlighted part is when Jesus shares bread with the disciples, then they recognize him. It's the walk to Emmaus. Um, And so uh, I went down a different path. And so today what I wanted to talk about more so than anything is that Jesus Christ in these post-resurrection passages um, presents or Luke presents Jesus as both uh, human and divine. He is the Messiah. And then also that his mission was divine. It wasn't just human. Like he's more than a human teacher. Uh, and so uh, that's where we got. So I, a familiar probably passage to a lot of people who read C.S. Lewis or think about apologetics. Um, I started kind of with that. And basically it was the Jesus is either Lord lunatic or liar. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I'll just read that first sentence of C.S. Lewis. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not do, right? So uh, Jesus cannot just be this Confucius type character. Jesus is presented as the son of God who has the authority of God, who teaches the commands of God and, and anything less than we start shifting down a road that, that doesn't lead to faithfulness to God or faithfulness Mm -hmm. to Christ. And so that's where I'm at there. Also, I highlighted the fact that when Luke was writing, there was also these Gnostic claims that, you know, material is bad. And so therefore Jesus couldn't be truly human. Like he was just kind of masquerading as a, as Mm -hmm. a human, but he was really just pure spirit because that's all that matters. And then Luke was also using these resurrection claims to say, um, Jesus rose bodily, physically. He's not in the grave. He wasn't stolen. This is a true message that Christ rose again. So, Absolutely. Um, well, I'm getting ready to preach through 1 John at my church. And um, I'm going to start that, the, you know, as we're recording this, this is the, this is, we're recording this on Good Friday. Uh, so I'm going to start that this Sunday on Easter. And so I've been reading uh Danny Aiken's commentary on first, second, and third John. And let me read you how Danny Aiken opens up his commentary on first, second, and third John. He riffs off C.S. Lewis's Lord Lunatic Liar argument and he kind of expands it a little bit. This is what he says. He says Christianity stands or falls on the person and work of Jesus Christ. It succeeds or fails on whether or not a true and genuine incarnation actually took place in space and time. The options as to who Jesus is and what Jesus did can basically be reduced to four. He could have been a liar, someone who simply was not who he claimed to be. He could have been a lunatic, someone who thought who he, someone who thought he was somebody, but in fact he was not. He could have been a legend, someone who was not who others later imagined him to be, or he could be the Lord. He is who he says he is, and his birth, life, death, and resurrection prove it all to be true. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Aiken kind of expands it to be Lord Lunatic right. Legend or Liar. Right. And I think that's the that's the question every human being has to answer for themselves. And uh, Easter Sunday, and, and I know this isn't Easter, this is the Sunday after Easter, but Easter Sunday is the place to, to really find that answer. And or to proclaim whenever, it at the very least. Right. 
And um, on this, how's, how's day, that go, Chris? Christ is risen. Risen indeed, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> in in this lesson, uh, in Luke twenty four, this is our last lesson in Luke. By the way, we've gone all the way through the Gospel of Luke, and. These guys are walking down the road and they're distraught over what has just taken place because this, this Messiah, this guy who was supposed to lead them to this kingdom is now dead. And all of, all of their hopes are, all of their hopes have died with him Mm -hmm. and they don't understand what's taking place. And of course Mm -hmm. I'm probably jumping ahead in the lesson, but when they see him, um, when, when he encounters them, he's just like, Hey guys, what, what you, doing? what you talking? Yeah. What are you talking about? And they're like, Oh, well this, this Jesus guy, you know, he just, he just died in Jerusalem a few days ago. And I, we don't really know what to do. And then next thing you know, he, he's there, you know, he, he well, he's been, he's been there walking with them the whole time, but he explains the scriptures to them. And what's amazing is he explains the scriptures to them. And they, they don't really get it. Um, I mean, they're just kind of, they're like, yeah, that's, that's correct. But, you know, he's still dead. But then their eyes are finally opened when he breaks the bread. Mm-hmm. And, and what I think contributed to their eyes being opened when he broke the bread was the fact that he first exposited the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like, it it was like the, the expositing of the scriptures kind of drove the nail in and then the bear, the breaking of the bread drove it all the way in. Yeah. I think, so when I was studying for this lesson, I think like not to take any way, anything away from the story itself, but I think that was a teaching of Luke and it mirrored what the church should do. It is the preaching of the word and the importance of the sacraments in which we come to. And then we, we realize with the preaching of the word the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the administering of the sacraments. This is how we make disciples. This is how we introduce people to the church. And this is the power then of, of preaching is it's, this is how it works. Uh, and so I think that was intentional. Right. And that friend is why you should do communion every Sunday. Yeah. I mean, and now I'm, I'm not against doing communion every Sunday right. for sure. Um, like the old joke says, it's like, okay, we're going to take offering once a month. Right. <laughs> do that every week. Um, do do commute. But, you know, I, that's one of those things I'm not dogmatic about. But I do think that's where I've, I've come as a as a preacher. I'm not sacramental, I guess, in the sense of like um, Catholics. I don't have the same complete understanding of Catholics on, on communion. But I also don't think that it's something we should relegate to once every quarter or once a year. Mm-hmm. I do think it needs to be done quite often. Um mm-hmm. Really, yeah, a lot. That remembrance, that remembrance. Um, I wanted to highlight that during then this section here, this is our discussion question for the week. So let's let's talk about our discussion question. It says, "How would you respond if someone told you that Jesus was a good spiritual teacher, but nothing more, and all the miracles in the Bible, including the resurrection, were stories added after the fact to support early Christian ideas?" It's a great. Great discussion question. <laughs> I'm going to burst people's bubble here, but like, so people might think that, you know, in the church, people don't actually believe that, but like probably one of the commentaries that both of y'all grew up on and that every single 
every single lay person in your church reads because it's so highly uh, used is William Barclay, right? Mm -hmm. William Barclay is what I call the lovable liberal in the sense of yep. you can find the greatest commentaries on Jesus's teaching and all that jazz, but he didn't believe in the miracles. He absolutely did not believe in the miracles at all. So for instance, like William Barclay, he, he said like when, when Jesus fed the 3000 or 5,000, this is how he interprets it. It's because Jesus said, who's going to feed these people. And then that one kid had some bread and some fish and, and he showed such unselfishness that they were able to feed everybody because everybody morally felt like if a kid could give up their food, so could we. And then we could all live in harmony and stuff like that. He, he, uh, he just didn't believe hmm. in miracles. And, and yet that's probably a commentary that every single person in your church has read or used or whatnot. And it shows that they haven't read at all, <laughs> but they've gone to different places. But this, this, um, and so I say that. So then that's how like you have like a prosperity gospel that can get so ingrained in, in people's uh, lives. It sounds so good and it sounds so spiritual, but it just doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical. And so, um, so anyway, or if you've had conversation with people and, and they'll, they'll take the, um, you know, the compassionate teachings of Christ, uh, but then they um, forget Sorry. that Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions and then come and pray. Right. And so, yeah. you know, well, you know, we, we see this in the church today. I'm not sure if you know anything about Union Seminary yeah. or Union Cemetery, as I like to call it. Uh, but you, their their Twitter feed is filled with nothing but them making unbiblical, unbiblical statements uh, about mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Like they say stuff like they say they actually said uh, last year or, or it might have been the year before one of those two years. They actually said that you don't have to believe in Jesus's physical resurrection to be a Christian. Hmm. And I, I don't I, like that's like the, the, the hallmark of the Christian faith there. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you know, we go also, back to C.S. Lewis, where it's, you know, he's a lunatic. Right. So, but a compassionate lunatic. Yeah. yeah. So how do you get, what are the mental gymnastics that you have to jump through in order to come to that conclusion? And well, so let me say this to say, I'll tell you exactly how it works. Like um, there's a lot of research, national youth and religious survey of American kids. I forgot when it was. Uh, you might've heard of a name called Kenda Creasy Dean, Christian Smith. They did this huge study and basically they found that uh, we taught our kids as the church, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we taught kids that to be religious or to be Christian meant to do right things, to be compassionate mm -hmm. And then, you know, ask God for help when you need it, basically. Right. And, and so Christianity then became a moral system or a, a more how to live a moral life for conservatives. It became how to be how to be moral and good citizens of the world or of the United States. And then for more liberal kids, it was less about um, the resurrection claim and more about feeding the hungry. And, and it was intended to do good because everybody wants to be nice and good. But it left right. out the edge of Christ is the only way to heaven and through the resurrection is how we connect with God. Which mm -hmm. is why my email box is flooded with, you know, a certain institution just saying nothing about nothing but justice, justice, justice. Right. So. And that started way back when, but we, we completed it. 
a lot in our churches. Mm-hmm. Like I said, not so, right. No, it, it's it's totally us to blame. We've taught our children how to be moral therapeutic deists, and I think that's, that's part of that's where the why, term comes from. Is from right the term comes from that study, yeah. And I think that's why so many of our uh, Cumberland Presbyterian churches don't have much of a youth or young adults program. Yeah. Uh, like, so basically how it works is, you know, back in the 80s or 90s, families would come to church, they would bring their kids or whatever. And then as the kids got older and started asking questions, the parents didn't know how to answer the questions. And, and in some situations, the pastors didn't even know how to answer the questions. It was just like, well, uh, well, go read your Bible. It was just a bunch of circular reasoning because no one was equipped on how to give a, give an answer for the hope that was within them. We don't right. know how, we didn't know how to do apologetics. And because we didn't know how to do apologetics, we failed the next generation and they turned into a bunch of secularists. Yeah. Okay. And for those people that are watching this, that don't understand all those terms, give me a definition for apologetics. Uh, well, apologetics is basically knowing what you believe and why you believe it and and defending it in a rational conversation right yeah comes from the word apology in its classic Mm -hmm. sense being a defense of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not and i'm sorry but a defense of Right. So whenever you say apologetics, people are like, why do I have to apologize? It has nothing to do with that. Apologetics just means being able to give a defense. Right. So it's understanding why you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and is God. And then being able to defend that when people are having that conversation with you about whether they think he was just a morally upright individual or, you know, as going back to that C.S. Lewis quote, whether he was the lunatic or a, a great liar, you know, but being able to defend your possession. Yeah, and I will. I'll give you a good place to start. If you're going to jump down the apologetics rabbit hole, uh, look at stuff from stand to reason. I, I don't completely sign off on everything. But I think that's a good place to start. Um, I think another good place to start is um, like if you just want simple down home, you know, no layman's no term. High, layman's yeah, term. If you, yeah. If you just want simple down home layman's terms uh, apologetics, then go to the YouTube channel uh, Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good one. I'm I'm friends with that guy on Facebook. I've had a couple conversations with him. He's a great guy. His name is Tim Barnett, and he used to be a teacher in, and I think he used to be a high school teacher. So the red pin logic kind of works. Um, and he's a pastor now, and he goes and does, he does all these conferences and stuff for Stand to Reason. So he's a great apologist, great defender of the Christian faith. Uh, red pin logic just has like six to seven minute videos where he finds these awful tweets from atheists or from union seminary or whatever and he just you takes a red pin to him and points out why they're wrong and provides scripture references and stuff mm-hmm. um so also in today's world i will say this and it, it gets to what we're thinking the best for me and the one that i find more interesting i've gotten to a point in my life where i don't like i believe jesus and i believe the claims of scripture and all that good stuff so we could say there's something called presuppositional apologetics that you you kind of there's different forms of it. I think what I'm more interested in, and I think makes a lot of more sense in today's world, would be um, cultural ap- apologetics, like uh, where Christianity offers an absolutely different way to live that makes more sense than a disconnected um, 
culture that we're in. Um, and so thing so my, my peeps would be like GK Chesterton, uh, CS Lewis is another good one, but just outside of his books, he wrote a lot of essays. CS Lewis wrote a lot of essays. One particularly is called, um, man or rabbit, which is a really good essay, which basically says, okay, here's the difference between, uh, we've used this, I think in the past, um, but mm -hmm. just the differences so. in a Christian understanding of, of reality and a materialist understand understanding of reality. And so like what I'm more concerned, especially if I teach at the community college is to uplift a religious thought over a secular thought to say, this makes sense. Like, right. Mm -hmm. This has, and, and so, and, and Logan said that it was a, a rabbit hole. It is to an extent because ultimately it's the power of the Holy spirit that draws people. And, and the Holy Spirit can use our apologetics and use our things, but it is the proclamation of the gospel and the, I think the sacraments and, and the power right. that, that draw people right. to uh, Christ. Right. And I think uh, even though he's probably, even though I don't really think he's a Christian at this point, I mean, he's getting there. I think that's where Jordan Peterson's going. The reason a lot of people are attracted to Jordan Peterson is because he's providing a sane alternative to the way the world is is moving right the world is moving to a place where words don't matter anymore definitions don't matter anymore mm -hmm. and jordan mm -hmm. peterson is jordan peterson is saying okay well if words and definitions don't matter anymore then nothing you do matters and that's just not true and so what he does is he's he provides you with a way to order your life he provides you with a way to, to order your life in such a way that makes sense and, and in such a way that moves you from the chaos of the culture around you. Mm -hmm. And so, I, and, and if you listen to Jordan Peterson's lectures, you're like, well, this guy's got to be a Christian. He's not because he doesn't believe. I don't think he quite believes in the resurrection yet, but he's getting there. He's getting there, man. He's so, he's so close. I just want to push him over. The here's edge. my, here's my, here's the bad part about um, cultural apolog apologetics. It, it can land you right back to Jesus just being a moral teacher. And I say that because, mm -hmm. um, you can have somebody like a Jordan Peterson, or you can have somebody like over in England, like a, a I forgot his name. Savage is his last name. Uh, but like, especially over in Europe, you have what's called cultural Christians. We have it here in America. You're a cultural Christian. Yes. You have no actual uh, connection to Christ, but you have found that uh, certain Christian things do well. Like, you know, it is cool to love your neighbor. It is cool to feed the hungry and it is cool. And so right. I think cultural apologetics falls short in that sense. Um, if it's not connected with the resurrection and the preaching of the word and the, right. and, and, and I can say like, that's, that's dangerous too. I don't want to get down this mm -hmm. rabbit hole too far because we've been, but right. Uh, well, well, no, I, I will say, go ahead, well, no, go ahead. okay. I was just going to say that I think that's where classical apologetics comes in yeah. um, and, and not to spend too much time on that either. But if you want to jump down the classical apologetics rabbit hole, then look at the old stuff written by St. Thomas Aquinas, which um, is an amazing dude, by the way. Yeah. 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 But and, this is uh, kind of a similar situation in which the early Christians found themselves too, because they were trying to explain this, that Jesus was man, but Jesus was also God, um, which is, I think, what you get us into, into the exploring the scripture section, um, really trying to help us understand how all that works. So what, what were you going for in that section, Chris? Yeah, so it leads in pretty well. I mean, like, so in the early church, you did have this teaching about Gnosticism, again, that that uplifted spiritual spirituality and spiritual truth above um, the nitty gritty of humanity, like, right, like, you, it's easy to talk flowery language, like, for instance, like, 
uh, romantic poetry. That sounds so good. But then when you get married, you get mad at your spouse. Like, right. And so there's a sense <laughs> in which it's easy to, to talk flowery languages. Uh, and then it's also hard then to be earthy and, and fleshly, if you will. I mean, those things constantly battle. So you had Gnosticism that wanted to reject the, the humanity of Christ, um, that, you know, that he bodily came down and identified as us, like, like we, we are an embodied spirit. And, and then mm-hmm. you had, on the other hand, uh, the Jewish leaders that said, you know, no, his body's dead, spirit's dead, everything's dead, right? So this, this Jesus person, just, you know, whether he was a good teacher or not, still dead. So don't put your hopes in him either. And so um, that's where we, uh, that's where I've got there. And, and so in, in the New Testament, you have these post-resurrection experiences. It's, it, it's, there's a reason why, like, Jesus eats with these people. Like, you don't necessarily have to do that. But when, you, you know, a ghost doesn't, you know, pop, you know, throw down, throw down the fish. Right. Or, or at the same time, why, why does John mention like the doors were locked and Jesus just came right on in? I mean, like, you know, he just came through the door. Right. And so there's this sense in which uh, these gospels were trying to say Jesus is human and divine. And it's always been an important thing. But Chris, they just thought the doors were locked. Were locked. Right. Right. But that's how we take it. That's, but so that's, you can tell the Gospels just put in these little details just to make sure people understood. We're talking about a truly divine, truly human person in Jesus Christ. And so, and then the creeds, like in the first century church, like Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, that's a creed. The First Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 8, that's a creed. So like if you're you and your church you memorize the apostles creed. The point of that says, these are the big points. Like if it's like, you're going to memorize this. So if you leave church and you don't remember the sermon, you at least remember that because you're saying it every week. Well, <laughs> right. And they- that goes back to what we said last week about how the reason we, the reason we have the apostles creed, the reason we sing hymns and do the scripture reading and have liturgy is because that protects you in case the sermon's awful. All right. And it probably will be every once in a while. Right, like, because that's what we I, do. <laughs> listen, Palm Sunday is a Palm Sunday is a fantastic event for me. I love Palm Sunday, but last week Palm Sunday, I blew it. I, you know, I I don't know what it was. I was just off, and I hated it. Mm-hmm. It was probably my least favorite sermon I've ever preached. And mm-hmm. but my people were, but my people were protected because we had scripture readings. We had not at the point right. yet where we can do Apostles' Creed, but we're getting there. Right. Right. And it's important. It's important for us to have these moments. And I'm really glad that, that Chris, you pointed out um, these different scriptures with Philippians and First Corinthians, um, because it's not taught always anymore, because we've kind of relegated that towards more of the high church kind of thing, that the high churches do that sort of stuff. But how important is it for us in our daily life? I mean, you've touched on it already, but how important is it for us in our to memorize these particular scriptures? Maybe Logan, you want to chime into that? Oh, it's so important. Like if, you, if you've got one of these babies, if you've got a book of common prayer and you pray the daily office, you're praying the Lord's prayer and you're praying through the Apostles' Creed every day in addition to your daily psalm and scripture readings. And so, like, even even though you're not in church, you're up in the morning doing your devotional time, having your time with God, drinking your cup of coffee, you are examining 
you are examining the Apostles' Creed every day and reminding yourself of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and man, Daily. that's important. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Daily reminding yourself of the gospel and, and who Jesus is, you know, um, because Jesus is fully man fully God. He, he was, he was both. And it wasn't an either or, um, Chris, you pointed out in exploring the scripture that, that Luke really points out that he, he ate that fish, which, which is one of those things that we just kind of gloss over and don't think about the significance of why Luke put that in the scripture, uh, to understand that a spirit just couldn't eat food. I mean, he, he was still, he had a body. He could, he could eat food. He could do that sort of thing. But then, um, you know, as, as you pointed out, then John says that he could just walk through, walk through into the room. So he was, he was both. And, and it's that daily reminder that we need to have of who Jesus is not just a good moral teacher, but that Jesus is both God and man together. Yeah. Are you seen? Uh, have you guys seen Spirited Away? Mm-mm. I don't think I have. No. It, it's one of those Miyazaki anime movies. Yeah, I'm um, sure I haven't seen it. And, <laughs> <laughs> but so, I'm a weeb. I've seen, uh, I've seen Spirited Away. I love Spirited Away. As a matter of fact, the theme from Spirited Away was what my wife walked down the aisle to at her wedding. Oh um, wow! Okay. And so there's a scene where there's like this, there's a scene where there's this uh, ghost, the spirit, and it, it looks black, but it has like a white face and uh, it wants to eat everything. And so it goes into this, it goes into this hotel restaurant and it just starts eating everything and demanding that people bring it food. And the more it eats, the bigger it gets, but all the food is just falling on the floor. Huh. And, and yeah. so not okay. happen. Yeah. Yes. Right. So yeah, essentially what I was trying to get to in that is just to say that, you know, uh, Jesus isn't just a, a spirit. Neither is our spirituality just spiritual. We're an embodied yeah. people and, and God is redeeming our bodies and souls and the things that yeah. we do in our bodies are holy or not holy and the things that you know i'm saying like we can't separate that spirituality with with what happens on earth that's and what happens in our bodies that's my main thing there Mm -hmm. christ came to came as a whole person body and spirit to save the body and the spirit like is what i I guess i'm trying to say yep good point is there anything else there in exploring the scripture either one of you want to touch on before we jump into digging deeper? I uh, know that's good. Okay. Good on my end. Okay. Digging deeper. So where are you going here? I just, my imagination ran a little bit in the sense of like when the, when the text says that from he, you know, from the prophets, he explained that the Messiah must suffer and die. Right. So like, right. as we pointed out, it was through the, the revealing of the old Testament or the scriptures and then the breaking of the bread that they realized who Jesus was. And so I kind of just um, thought about that. Uh, and I brought up the whole, as Cumberland Presbyterians were big on John three sixteen. I, I just kind of hope in my mind that, that Jesus was like, well, you don't you remember in Deuteronomy 
when all those snakes were biting people and, and Moses was commanded to make a bronze serpent and lift it up and everybody who looked to it was, was saved from death. And I thought, you know, when we hear that, if I be lifted up, I will draw them into, into myself. I mean, so like, obviously the Israelites that he was walking with were familiar with that passage. And so then Jesus was able to say that, which is killing you, I became so that you could live. Um, the other one would have oh. been the suffering servant passage uh, in Isaiah or in Psalm 22. Uh, I can imagine those are something that he might've talked about. Um, like when Jesus is dying on the cross and he says, father or my god my god why have you forsaken me i mean every jewish person knew that psalm and so once you once jesus said that that line from his mouth on the on the crucifixion they knew what was going on in their head he was claiming to be that suffering servant that would one day uh become you know they knew it three days later but that he would die but he would also be resurrected in victory and so um again this is pointing out i guess for Luke, um, you know, this, this wasn't just some guy, this wasn't just some dude, this wasn't just some moral teacher, but from the very beginning of time, or at least from the promises in John, Genesis 3.15, this was the Messiah. This is how God's saving the world. And uh, it's, it wasn't a fluke. It, it was purposeful. It didn't just happen to Jesus, but Jesus, that's why I use that memory verse for this. Jesus made sure that they knew that it was necessary. Like this wasn't a backup plan. He had to die. He had to be hung up on a cross and he had to be risen again. So that's where I'm at in that passage or in that part. The intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. Logan, you want to throw something in on that one? And I think Chris covered it, but I will say this. Um, you know, I like the I like the paragraph there where you know we Cumberland Presbyterians we're we're the whosoever will may come church right because we we love John three sixteen but we so often we we leave John three we take out John three sixteen and we just set it apart from the text and as Chris mentioned you know that that has its roots back in the Book of Numbers so if you really want to understand what John three sixteen means then you need to go back to the story in Numbers and 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 look at that story and then see how that connects to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that's a real problem that we have in the church is mm. we don't we don't really know how to connect yeah. the Old Testament to the New Testament. And every chan- every every sermon I preach, every chance I get, I try to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament because we we really have a hard time with that. And I think that's what the lectionary was supposed to be. The lectionary was supposed to be a tool um to where you could where you had these specific readings every Sunday and they and, and it was intentionally from different parts of the Bible and they were all supposed to connect in some way. So mm-hmm. you got your Old Testament reading, your New Testament reading, your gospel reading, and your psalm. And the the in in the sermon, you're supposed to try to connect all four of those readings. You're not always able to do it. No, you ain't but you yeah you're not always able to do it but you're supposed to be able to say this is how you find jesus in this part of the bible um and it's really it's really a shame that we've gotten away from that and it's caused us to just nitpick at different verses and say well these verses are more important than these verses or the red letters are more important than the black letters and Mm -hmm. 
and that's not how it's supposed to work. You're not, uh, I think AW, I shared a quote from AW Tozer a couple of days ago because I was listening to one of his old sermons. Um, but Tozer said that you, uh, Tozer said that what we do is uh, we try to take the Bible apart and it doesn't work for us because the Bible is one cohesive unit. Uh, so when you try to cut the New Testament off from the Old Testament, it's basically like you're cutting someone's legs off. Yeah. And and so what happens is we cut the New Testament off from the Old Testament, and it's just it's just laying there bleeding to death. Yeah, yeah I, I, that pretty much is what I was trying to get into. Like it, mm-hmm. it is a unified whole, and and Jesus wasn't just this dude that just showed up one day, like that right. thought it was a good idea to save the world. Uh, it was part of a redemptive plan. Uh, from the get-go and we know god because of what we've seen in jesus christ um and there's not a disconnect between the old and new testament i think you did an excellent job pointing that out in this section just from my limited experience as a pastor so far is, is that something that has come up in bible studies over and over and over again is and logan you did a great great job of of talking about how all of that comes together that Jesus just didn't say these words just to say these words that there was intentionality behind them um that there's intentionality through the actions that were done which all lead back to something that the old testament pointed to because what we forget was that Jesus wasn't walking around with the New Testament scripture in his breast pocket, right? I mean, mm. he, the scriptures that they had was the Hebrew scriptures. It was the Old Testament. And that's what the Jewish people that he was primarily ministering to, not always, but the vast majority of the audience, that's what they would have understood. And by referencing, by using these words that drew back on something that they would have been very familiar with, He was pointing always to himself saying that I am that suffering servant. I am this one that this scripture claims, but unless we cross-reference and go, okay, well, Jesus just didn't say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't just something he said. There was a purpose. There was an intentionality behind that, that would have taken people back to that Psalm that they would have understood what he was talking about. We, we forget that, and we have, I think, really lost that in our Bible teaching today, that we don't, we don't have that information, and we just kind of gloss over it and go, oh, well, that's what Jesus said. That's nice. <laughs> you so know? our culture, like, here's the thing. We're living, we're living in a post-Christian nation. Like, right. we, we are no longer a Christian nation. We are a mm-hmm. post-Christian nation. And we, we saw that this last week whenever, whenever there was a poll taken, and it found that that the number of people in the United yeah. States who are church members are a minority. Yeah. Yes. Well, so, a majority of a minority in the sense of at least 49% identify with the church, right? Is that what mm-hmm. it was? I, I mean, so. like, it's still pretty large. I mean, what there's like, you know, 38% of the world is, or United States is like a registered Democrat or, you know, 42% registered Republican. We're still large. I didn't want to throw that out there. It's a minority that people... Uh, belong to church but if you look at groups together it's still pretty big minor- i mean a pretty big you know uh, anyway keep going yeah I was just, <laughs> yeah we're 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 in the minority on the on yeah. these issues um and that means that people are also becoming biblically illiterate that's it yeah yes. so and like for the, instance like 10 you know 20 years 
when I was in elementary school, you could just say um, the prodigal son and you already had a structure in your mind of what that story was about, right? Like you just knew it. You didn't have to tell the story. You just knew it. Or if you saw, I've told, I think I've told you all this before. If you saw a nativity scene, you knew the gospel story. You just had to see Joseph and a baby and you knew what it was talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd ministered to a person that was coming out of the halfway house and we went by a nativity scene and he's like, what's that? I honest to goodness thought he was talking like the house behind him. It didn't dawn upon me that somebody would not know. I mean, they were cardboard figures, no faces or anything, but we instantly knew Christmas. Jesus. Yeah. No yeah. clue. Yeah. <laughs> it was really strange for me. Yeah. But yeah, we've, we've lost it. Like Logan said, we're, the Israelites grew up. They knew image. You could just start a verse and they would know about it. So, mm-hmm. so Logan, you're right on that. Uh, we, we're growing increasingly, increasingly biblically literate yeah. and, and, you know, I hate to throw the church under the bus, but it's the church's fault. Yeah, because uh, everybody you know, went at one point. <laughs> yeah, like even in the good old days of even in the good old days of 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 you know postmodern Karl Barth type liberalism, people were still uh, biblically literate. Yeah, mm-hmm. they knew the Bible. Today, that's not the case anymore. We've yeah. just we've we've thrown the Bible away. We've disregarded the miracles. We've disregarded the supernatural. We have. We have acted as if the Bible's not all that important, even if we've not said so. And we've we've focused entirely too much on other peripheral issues. Um, and we've just thrown the Bible out the window. That's how you come, that's how people come to the conclusion that being a Christian is all about social justice, that being a Christian is all about being a Republican, that being a Christian is all about all these other things, except what actually being a Christian is about. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I, again, we're getting in the weeds a little bit, but I will say like one of my favorite, favorite clips ever of all time, I play this in my religion class. So like um, it's, it's easy to point to like, you know, progressive Christians that discount Bible and it's, and, but like one of my favorite things, what was it? Eight years ago, there was like a huge hubbub deal about some 10 commandment statues at a park in Alabama or at the courthouse in Alabama. Y'all remember that? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, at that time, I think it was John Stewart. Maybe it was Stephen Colbert. I don't know. But anyway, they had the segment to where, you know, it was like rumble in Alabama about the Ten Commandments. And the senator there that was like leading the charge to keep the Ten Commandments, um, he was doing this interview. And, and so he was like, we're losing our Christian heritage and all this good stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then Stephen Colbert said, OK, can you give me three of those Ten Commandments? Dude had no clue, did not know, not even like, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. He could not say one single of those Ten Commandments. And I think this gets back to what my whole general lesson is about in the fact of we can fight even on the conservative side or the liberal side. We can fight about certain things, but if it isn't biblically based and if it isn't rooted in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. then all we're doing is fighting a culture and we're not advancing the gospel either way. Right. Right. The the message, again, has to be that I think that's why Luke did it. It has to be the preaching of the word, the administering of the sacraments. And this is where you this is where you understand who Jesus is. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, A few Mm -hmm. weeks ago, the 
Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments came up in the lectionary reading for the Old Testament. And I thought, you know, since this is Lent, this is the perfect time to preach the Ten Commandments. I'll tell you what I told my church. I said, I said, we want to have these wars about whether or not the Ten Commandments can be on the courthouse steps. And I'm, you know, if you want to put them up all over the place in public, I'm fine with it. But before I sign any petition, you better tell me what they are and, and in the correct order. Right. Or do them. That would be another thing, you know. That would right. be, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. Anyway. Mm. So we yes. got that. I think we got that covered. <laughs> yes. So then that leads us into learning from the scripture. Um, what do you got? So what I wanted to do is connect our what we're trying to say today with our confession of faith. And then um, in 307, it says God's mighty act of reconciling love was accomplished in Jesus Christ, the divine son who became flesh to be the means by which the sins of the world are forgiven. So even our confession of faith connects that true humanity, both spirit and divine in Jesus Christ. And then in 308, it says, uh, Jesus Christ being truly human and truly divine was tempted in every respect as every person is, yet did not sin. And this is the basis to where we see Christ as the new Adam, where our forefather, mother, Adam and Eve, uh, they, they were tempted and fell. Now we have this new creation, this, this completely human, completely spiritual person, divine nature, human nature, that was able to succeed. Like mm -hmm. last week, we talked about kind of that contract with death that God might have. Jesus Christ breaks it. Um, and I'll, I'll stop that for now. Um, so ultimately, I'll just read this last part of, it's in page 41, right above applying the scripture. To understand Christ as simply a moral or spiritual leader demeans his experience of suffering and death. He did not come to give the world yet another guilt trip, but to atone for our sins. And what God intended Christ accomplished. So that's, that's what I, I've got in that section. Absolutely. Logan, what do you got? Lord, man, I hate to be, I hate to be that guy that just, I hate to be that guy that says, I think Chris covered it and then go on to talk for about 10 minutes. <laughs> well, tell us about it. <laughs> but <laughs> but I'll, I'll say this. I think, um, I think we really need to recover the, the, the intent of the resurrection because, you know, what Chris said in the lesson really hit the nail on the head what God intended Christ accomplished. So I, I, think the, I think the church has a problem with works. Like we, we feel like because we're, we're, so guilty, we're so guilty and burdened down by the weight of our sin which is good. We need to be, we need to be guilty and burdened down by the weight of our sin sometimes, but we feel like it's up to us to finish our work. It's like, we feel like it's up to us to finish Christ's work when Christ has already finished his work. What we need, what we need to be doing is the work of the church. So it's not that it's not that works don't play, don't have a place in the Christian life. It's, it's which works have a place in the Christian life. Yeah. So the work of Christ is already done. But the work of the church continues. And of course, the work and of course you can you can make the argument that that Jesus is still working in the church because the beginning of Acts chapter one, Luke records that this is a beginning of all that Jesus can begin to do and teach. Mm -hmm. I'll, so Logan, when you were talking, this is where um, this shows probably my theological orthodoxy more so than anything. But I think it's important. So on page 40. Um, at the very bottom, 
It says, for some people saying, for some people saying that Jesus's suffering was necessary makes it seem as if God is bloodthirsty or cruel. Um, so there is a disagreement in the church on what exactly. So like if Jesus was beaten up, spit on and all that jazz to mm. make God happy, that presents a certain version of God. Um, and like, I wanted to bring up the fact that whether it makes God happy or not, it's just Jesus continually said, this has to happen. And so when the people on the Emmaus road was like, they said, we had hoped that this Jesus or this Messiah would, was the Messiah. And then Jesus said, well, it had to happen. This had to happen. One of my problems with, um, and again, I'm not throwing any stone, but there's a moral influence theory that Jesus Christ went to the cross. This is one of those, uh, William Barclay things, uh, Jesus went to the cross to basically shame us. He showed a moral good and that, that because he tried to be nice and he tried to do these things, people put him to death. And so his death is a moral influence upon us. And Logan, what you just said is one of the reasons I think that we have a problem with works is, is if we understand Jesus Christ as a moral influence, well, of course, we're always going to feel guilty because we're never going to be that good. The flip side of that is like when Martin Luther says, when you sin, sin boldly, but believe more boldly still. Martin Luther understood that it wasn't a moral influence with which Christ died, but that Christ accomplished salvation. No matter how uh -huh. terrible you are, you have been redeemed by that sacrifice of truly human, truly divine in Jesus Christ. The work is done. And so when you confess as a Christian who has been redeemed by Christ is different than always feeling guilty. And we talked about that in, in, a, in a previous podcast, I think. But, but that's where a difference in, in how you understand the work and the person of Christ is. Are you mm -hmm. guilty all the time because he was just this moral teacher and that you're never going to get up to? Or are you saved and redeemed and justified? Right. And so here's the thing. I am, I am a penal substitutionary atonement guy all the way. But I will tell you that penal substitutionary atonement is not the whole story. Correct. I think I think you've go. got penal substitutionary atonement over here, and I think you've got Christus Victor over here, and they do this. Mm -hmm. We're getting theology nerd, but I think that's where I'm at. But yeah. but let me tell you, I I really have a problem when people bash penal substitutionary atonement and say that, oh, well, you're just saying that God was bloodthirsty, or you're saying that God is a cosmic child abuser. Let me tell you something. A thorough reading of the Old Testament will reveal that God is always pleased with sacrifice. How much more so would God be pleased with the sacrifice of his perfect sinless son, who comes as the Lamb of God. Like when John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's not saying, behold, the nice guy who's going to die to be a moral influence. Right. He's, he means that Jesus is going to be offered up as a lamb. Right. right. Yeah. And, and that lamb is... Old Testament theology and the Old Testament sacrifice. The lamb was a sacrifice. Yeah. It was what it was. Yeah. And what, what's the sacrifice for? Well, it's... You, the, the, the lamb accepts the sins that it did not commit, right? Mm -hmm. You kill yeah. that lamb, you've either got to kill that lamb or you've got to lay on the altar yourself. Yeah. Right. That's the theology of the Old Testament for sure. And I think that's why it's hard for me, at least in, in some ways, to d divorce T 
teachings of atonement from the old Testament or what you, uh, what most people would claim as Orthodox or, you know, historic Christianity. It's, it's hard for me to go past that. Um, mm -hmm. because if you keep the two together, the old Testament, and the new Testament, it's hard to get away from a theory of atonement. I did put in here, John, first John two, two, you know, for whatever reason, may, again, you'd have to either think that John's just got it wrong or whatnot, but it, he does say Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world, right? Like yeah. there has to be a sense in which the death of Christ was, however you define the term, somewhat transactional, Right. That doesn't right. mean that it that it isn't a moral influence, because like when somebody sacrifices something for you, it changes your opinion on that person, and it may sure. show you want to be a person of mercy and grace. But ultimately, there was something that because this human divine person died, uh, we become transformed. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. So how do we how do we apply that to ourselves? How do we apply um, that to our covenant community? So I think that is important. So like, because Christ accomplished something, not made something possible, because he accomplished something, we can get in the pulpit and say that you can be changed. You can be resurrected. You can live eternally. You can become a child of God because of Jesus Christ. It's not a possibility. Accept it. And you are this, right? Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. super important. Logan, it looks like you're trying to find something. What are you trying to find there, buddy? Well, I was I was looking through my I was looking through my Bible because first John two two uh, coincides with a statement that the Pharisees actually made about Jesus, and I can't find it. But I know it's in John. I know it's at the end of John eleven where they're actually. Uh, I, I know it's at the end of John eleven where they're actually figuring out how they're going to catch Jesus, and mm -hmm. uh, and what one of the Pharisees says is that he's going to die on behalf of the whole nation. Yeah, isn't it better for one person to die than for the whole nation to die? Yeah, and so like he may not really understand what he's saying in that instance, right? But he's he's saying something about what Jesus is going to be doing. Yeah. So I think um, on the applying the scripture part, like this is the go and tell, like this is the witness. Go, right. just do it. Like that's the application of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is number yeah. one, experience it for yourself. And then second, yep. go and tell. Um, so there's a there, there's a book uh, called Blood Bought World by Tony something. I can't think of the guy's last name. I've got his face in my mind, and sometimes he can be kind of a jerk. But he he wrote a he wrote a good. This book. is why you like him, Logan. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but but the name of the book is called. I'm looking it up on my Ken, on my. Uh, audible right now because yeah it's called blood bought world by tony j sumter and basically what he says is that because of the resurrection because of the birth the birth life death and resurrection of jesus we can go out into the world and say hello world jesus bought this place with his blood deal with it mm -hmm. and what a beautiful what a beautiful thing though to be able to say that you know that my life was bought by somebody else and and that's the, it that's could the, be a beautiful thing that's what you got it, it could not be. be it might not be a beautiful thing depends well, on that's that's true. Yeah. well i think that's part of what makes it beautiful too because it's not just your life that's been bought it's the, it's the world the world yeah. has been bought with his blood he owns this yeah. place it's his now and now and now it's on people to deal with it 
And so they can deal with it by rejecting him or they can deal with it by embracing him and repenting. Uh, but they've got to deal with it one way or the other. And there's going right. to, there's consequences to both of those decisions. The consequences of repenting and following Jesus is that you enjoy life. You enjoy abundant life. Uh, you understand how the world works from a different, from, from a, a godly perspective, man. Right. And the consequences to rejecting Jesus is that you live out the chaos of the world. You live out the, the parts of scripture that talk about life outside of Christ. And, and being a witness to those things. I think, um, you know, Chris, you really said that, that once we're converted, you know, then we have that responsibility. Once we have that conversion experience, which can be and is extremely, extremely beautiful and amazing, that now we get to share that with the rest of the world. Um, and I think that's someplace that a lot of times we fall short on, honestly, that we do not do very well um, sharing our conversion with everyone else. Um, I can, I could end this on, so in Luke chapter 24, like if you go farther down, it's not in our printed passage, but Luke 24, starting at verse 44. Um, I mean, this is how Jesus leaves the disciples. So let me just read 44 through 49. It says, then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then the last 48 and 49, you are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending you upon, or I'm sending upon you what my father promised. Stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. Like literally, that's the last thing Jesus said to them um, before, before he, he goes up. So like be mm -hmm. witnesses of what you have seen, experienced yeah. and heard with the power of the Holy Spirit through the prophets. Like I've showed you all this through the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the breaking of bread. This is how you recognize mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great place to end our conversation this week on for all of those that are listening, that have joined us on the conversation. Go. Be Go and tell. Go and Go tell to come tell. and see. John chapter two. Amen. Go tell Amen. All right. Well, so we had recorded this after Easter or um, before Easter. Uh, we recorded this on Good Friday. So I do want to wish my two uh, co-hosts here power and blessing in your Easter messages and 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 preach well, man. And to you as well. Thank you, y'all. God bless. Thank you.